banded together from remote galaxies are 13 of the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of Doom, dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Only one group dares to challenge this intergalactic threat, the Super Friends. Celebrate, dear listeners, for you are listening to the Stephen or Else podcast, and this is episode number 11. Welcome to another episode of the Stephen or Else podcast, the little show with the big round belly. I'm your host, Stephen. Ooh, I got a whopper of an episode for you, people. Let me let me tell you what we're going to be talking about this week. I've got an in-depth, in-depth talk about Man of Steel, issue number one from way back in 1986. I'm also going to be talking about an issue of Iron Man. It's number 225 from 1987. And if that's not enough for you, I've got a new edition of Nerd Quest. And all of this will come with the music of MC Frontalot. Now, I'm going to do my best to try to put a song from each one of MC Frontalot's albums. Uh, not his newest one because it's not out yet. It doesn't come out until December. But his last album uh, that is currently available that's out. I mean, you can pre-order his newest one but as the 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 last one that's currently out is question bedtime and i know that there's at least two off of that album i want to throw on this episode so we'll try to get some uh songs from uh each of the other albums we'll see we'll see what's going to happen um now but before i get into the actual meat of the episode however i want to try to uh like every 10 episodes or go bleh, already already i'm just tripping over my own tongue but what I want to try to do is every 10 episodes or so, just kind of give a quick rundown of what this podcast is all about for anybody who may be new to the show, because I have to assume I'm going to get some new listeners once in a while. So here's here's what you here's what you got here with the Stephen or else podcast. This show, as you've probably divined by now, is a single host podcast, and it's one in which I drone on and on and on about all the stuff that I like. And that could be comics, it could be TV, it could be movies, it could be comics, it could be music, uh, books, uh, and comics. And really anything that just creeps its way into my tiny little brain, just nestles in there, just something that I, I have to talk about. And mostly that's going to be comics. And the comics that I talk about each week are not new releases. And that's because I don't collect anymore. I used to collect... I went through two periods of life in which I was a very highly dedicated comic book collector and got new issues every week. I don't do that anymore because, I, one, I can't afford it. And two, I don't have, I don't want to add anything to the house. There's just no more room in my house for anything else. And in fact, at some point this winter, I need to get up into the attic where all my comics are and go through and just start looking at what I can get rid of. Uh, but that's that's not what I'm here to talk about. Um, so yeah, so because I'm a low rent fanboy, I utilize my local public library when it comes to the comics that I'm going to read. And what that means is, uh, I'll go to the library itself and check out 
a stack of trades once a month. They also have uh, an app called Hoopla that allows me to download, check out and download four items every month. And I use that to get comics. The two books I'm talking about today come off of my Hoopla app. Um, so yeah, that's why the books I'm talking about today are just so gosh darn old because I don't buy new stuff. And, uh, that's, that's just happened to be what I'm, what I'm reading now. Sometimes I'll get a trade that's fairly new, but nothing, you're, you're not going to get current comics here really. And if that's what you're looking for, I apologize. Now, something else I like to do every now, now and again in the show is throw a little silliness in, like a fake commercial or a sketch or two. Uh, but because this particular episode is already just colossally huge this week, and uh, I'm not going to do that this week. You're not going to get that here. And frankly, I honestly don't know why I'm spending so much time here at the beginning with all this stuff, with, with everything that I have to talk about. I mean, what am I doing right now just talking when I have all this other stuff? That we still need to get to. So how about instead of me here just droning on and on about what the show is about, how about I just get on with it already and we get into the meat of the episode. So why don't we just do that? Let's just stop all the lollygagging. Let's just get this show on the road. That's exactly what I'm going to do after this song. By her own volition, choosing to sincerely deliver to old folks sucker, also bigger, cheese and crackers, salt and coffee, medicine to make the heart beat softly, awfully kind in a mission. Red was yes in a head-on collision with the forces of trouble, long as the tooth plus stubble. And this goes double for all little girls. Know who wolves are, don't be telling them where you're going, how far and what direction it is, especially if it's the unguarded cottage where grandma lives. This is just common sense with which little red dispense. Hence, she proceeded on her way through the woods to grandma's place little red riding hood rolled up and took one look and was like what the what the heck grandma got a hairy neck teeth enough to get wrecked next up would act swinging that's how it happened that's all i'm singing that's the story that's the story that's the story well i won't start over again don't stop yapping Shh, hush hush down now and in addition to hushing you can stop questioning my narrative authority. This is how it went. Wolves got it hard on this earth. Ever the subjects of defamation. Okay, so I'm back, and uh, as I said, I'm going to talk about Man of Steel issue number one. This comes from DC Comics. It has a cover date of October 1986. John Byrne is the writer slash penciler. On inks is Dick Giordano. On colors, Tom Zuko. Letters, John Costanza. And the editor for this issue is Andrew Helfer. Um, so before I get into the actual issue itself, I do feel like if if you don't know what was going on at the time, I you, you should get a little background before you understand just really what the Man of Steel uh, miniseries from John Byrne was all about. So if you're not aware, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster and first appeared in Action Comics number 1, which was published in April of 1938. His origin at the time was just told on one page. They had, they just had a, a certain number of pages for his, his first story, and so they condensed his origin down into one page. And 
ultimately his origin at the time was just a distant, you know, the a distant planet explodes, but not before a scientist places his infant son on a rocket and fires it off into space, launching it toward Earth to save the child. We we're all if you're familiar with Superman, you're familiar with this origin. But at the time that this came out, it really was very bare bones. Uh, the craft lands on Earth, a passing motorist discovers the sleeping baby within, and turns the child over to a local orphanage. The attendants at the orphanage are surprised by the baby's feats of superhuman strength, and the origin page even shows, it shows the baby at one point holding a chair up over his head with two people, a man and a woman, looking on in amazement. They're like, what? Which I think anybody would be if they walked into a room and a, a baby in diapers is lifting a chair over his head. I think everybody would be like, Ooh. that's the that's the sound I would make. Ooh. So as he reaches maturity in this one page origin, Clark Kent found that he could, quote, leap an eighth of a mile, hurdle a 20 story building, raise tremendous weights, run faster than an express train and that nothing less than a bursting shell could penetrate his skin. And that was it. That was his origin. I saw the page online. I'm pretty sure I saw the correct page. But it it doesn't it doesn't mention uh I don't believe it mentioned Kansas. It doesn't mention John Jonathan and Martha Kent. All of that comes later. Uh so throughout the years they start adding to his um his origin, adding to the Superman mythos, giving him new powers. Because originally, if you if you were listening to that, nowhere in that origin did it say that he could fly. So that was not given to him straight up at the beginning. So eventually he's given more powers such as flight, the, uh, the super breath that can freeze stuff, um, x-ray vision, the heat vision, all that. Um, they start telling stories about Clark and Smallville as Superboy. They add a cousin to his history, uh, who is Supergirl. And as the years go on, they make his backstory more confusing. And soon there are just some glaring inconsistencies between Superman's history in the Golden Age and his history in the, in the Silver Age. And this was happening a lot to the to the superheroes in the, in the Silver Age, as the the Silver Age and beyond. Um, there were a lot of inconsistencies: Justice League of America versus the Justice Society of America. Which one did Superman join first? Was Superman even a member of the Justice Society? Well, these comic books say he was. These comic books say he wasn't. It was really confusing. And eventually, the idea of a multiverse was created that would explain. Basically, it explained a way that all the Golden Age stories happen in a parallel universe. So if you're reading comics in the Silver Age, at one point, and I, and I think they did it in a Flash issue, you were under the understanding that, okay, that makes sense now. All of these uh, stories about Superman in the Golden Age didn't actually happen on the, on, in, in the universe that we're reading now. It happened in a parallel universe, which apparently seemed to be fine for, you know, fine for folks who, who were dedicated DC Comics readers, but casual readers tended to find it a bit confusing. And so in 1985, DC published Crisis on Infinite Earths, which, which did away with the multiverse. And so at that point, once Crisis on Infinite Earths ended, 
DC continuity could be rebooted and started from scratch. And that's where Man of Steel comes in. John Byrne, who had left Marvel back in 1985, was asked to pitch an idea for a new Superman origin story, which he did. DC liked it, and so he was hired. Um, and the first thing he did was write the six-issue mini Man of Steel, which retold Superman's origin. It rebooted his history, and it was released twice a month. And so that's what we're, that's what I'm going to talk about today. And I'm, and I'm only going to talk about issue one. Um, I will, will continue with all of John Byrne's Superman run, uh, but I'm not going to talk about them all here. So you'll get issue number one of Man of Steel this week, and then maybe next week you'll get issue number two. I don't know. I may do them once a month. I haven't quite decided. They, they came out every two weeks, so maybe I'll just do that every two weeks. I'll talk about a new issue every two weeks because the Man of Steel, for me, was my introduction to Superman in the comic books. Uh, my introduction to Superman in general was through the Super Friends, um, but for me, this Superman is my Superman. This is the Superman I grew up with. Uh, this was my Superman, my Clark Kent, my Lois Lane, my Lex Luthor. And there are some slight differences between, uh, you know, what happened before Man of Steel and what's kind of going on with Superman now. I don't really know what's going on with Superman now. I don't read, you know, I said in the beginning of the episode, I don't, I don't read a lot of new books because I can't. So we're going to talk about issue number one. And uh, yeah, then we'll talk about some of the other issues in later episodes. So with issue number one, we open up with a prologue, which is entitled From Out of the Green Dawn. In the prologue, we're introduced to the planet Krypton. It's a very cold and sterile place, and the Kryptonians are the masters of the planet. We meet Jor-El and Laura, Superman's birth parents. We also learn that there's some sort of plague storming across Krypton, something they refer to as the Green Death that has already, quote, claimed the lives of uncounted millions. And I believe that, that that's something that's new. I didn't do a lot of research into what was going on with Superman's origin post-crisis, but I believe that the, uh, the idea of a, uh, of a plague is a, is a new thing. Jarrell explains, he, he and Lara are talking about the, the plague. He explains, however, that the problems are actually much deeper, much worse, much more dire and grave than the plague. So we've got a plague that's sweeping across the planet. It's claimed uncounted millions, and Jarrell's like, that's nothing, lady. Our problems are actually much worse. Well, what could be worse than a plague killing, killing millions and millions of people? Um, how about the planet exploding? The planet's dying. This has been, this they postulate has been caused by the Kryptonians who have, basically they, uh, they have invaded every corner of the planet and changed everything about the planet. They've, you know, instituted their, their technology. They've changed things. They, they are the masters of Krypton. And because of that, their planet is going to explode. And I'm sure that was John Byrne's way of telling us See, look what could happen, people. I'm a firm believer that sci-fi is not just for entertainment. It's a warning for us all as well. So uh, Jorel basically explains to Lara that the planet could explode within the hour. I mean, this, this is not something that we have time to fix. It's going to happen. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen in five minutes. We, I, I don't know, but I know it's coming quickly. And so <clears throat> they can't save themselves. 
but Jarrell has taken steps to save their child. Now, in the 1938 origin, Superman is a baby. He's placed into a rocket and he's shot off into space. In this version, he's actually not born yet. He's still a fetus. He's ge he's gestating in a matrix, which is just a big black ball. And Jarrell has uh, taken a rocket that he has designed with a hyperdrive, and he's attached this gestation matrix to it. And that's what he's going to fly. He, that's what he's going to launch off toward Earth. And so as the the rocket is flying toward Earth uh, using the hyperdrive, um, Clark will be born within this matrix. And I, they don't they don't say it at all in the first issue. But what little I looked up in Wikipedia, they claim in the Wikipedia article that uh, Clark isn't born until after the rocket crashes to Earth. I don't know if that's true or not. I didn't see that at all in the issue. Nothing in the issue made me believe that. But, you know, that's just that's just what I've read. Um, but that's a. Uh, that's kind of a big deal, though, if you think about it, because if Clark was actually born on Earth, then regardless of the fact that he is alien in origin, he is he was born in America. He was an American. He's an American citizen and he can run for president. Um, OK, so Jorel has been studying Earth before. You know, he's he's known that something was going to happen. He's been planning for a little while. And so he's been studying Earth, and he knows that the radiation from Earth's yellow sun will give their child great powers. Krypton has a red sun, and under the red sun, Kryptonians are just like you and me. But under a yellow sun, apparently, uh, it will, it'll make Kryptonians super strong and all that good stuff. And he, he, at one point, he's explaining this to Laura. You know, this is what we have to do. He will go to Earth and... Um, he shows her an image of Earth, which is of a shirtless man working in a field, some farmer in a field with no shirt on. And Laura just freaks out. She's just like, oh, it's crazy. Because she sees this guy with his shirt off and she calls him a barbarian. How, you know, there must be barbarians. Look at him without a shirt on. <laughs> and so uh, I, I would hate to see uh, had he shown her something else in one of the bigger cities. I don't know. But anyway, um, she kind of likes the idea of of her child having great powers, and she actually asks Jorel, "quote In time, uh, or no?" So Jorel tells her, you know, he's telling her about um, the the Earth's yellow sun. He says, "In time, he will become the supreme being on that planet, almost a god." And her response to him is, "Then he will rule them. He will shape them to proper Kryptonian ways." And he says, "Perhaps," and that's all he says. And so, sure, he has the power to do that, but will he? Well, let's find out, shall we? So, at that point, though, that's when the eruptions begin. Boom! Planet's gonna planet's gonna explode, and so he launches the gestation matrix into space. The planet explodes. We see green rocks sailing past the rocket. We also see something strike the rocket, and we'll see what that is later. And this then ends the prologue and takes us into chapter one, The Secret. So the first page of chapter one is a splash page. It's Clark Kent. He's in high school. He's playing football. And he's running in his 10th touchdown of the game. The game announcer, he is just shouting out Clark's praises. And, and it's funny because at first he refers to Clark as his, his number on his jersey. But I think eventually, yeah, because he says... 
Smallville High has just never seen a football player like the amazing all-around champion young Clark Kent. And so Clark Kent's father, Jonathan, he's on the sidelines with the coach. He doesn't seem too happy about Clark winning the game. Uh, he can see players on the bench who are watching Clark and these players on the bench. They're not happy either. They're looking kind of surly and looking a bit salty. They're, they seem to be upset because Clark's out there doing it all and they're left to do nothing. Um, it's then after the game on the way home in the car, Jonathan decides at that point he's going to tell Clark the secret. He takes Clark to a field, uh, some a field that they that they own, part of their farm, and uh, it's a field that he says he let fallow long ago. It's one that he has forbidden Clark to play in when he was a kid and one that he is surrounded with the cruelest barbed wire because he doesn't want anybody in this field. And we find out why. Because in the field, there, there's what appears to be a large wooden hatch covering something in the ground. And he tells Clark to open it, tells him, you should be strong enough now to open it. And so Clark lifts the wooden hatch aside. And it's it's huge. It's like, think of a, think of a, 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 a warehouse door. Um, it's just this huge thing. It's probably like 30 by 30 feet or something. And Clark just lifts it aside. And underneath is the rocket with the birthing matrix. And this is where Jonathan tells him the secret. And we'll get into that in a minute. But first, let's take a little break. We'll listen to some music and then we'll get back to more of the issue. Got to sometimes feel like, oh my God, life's so good. Got to sometimes feel like, oh my God, life's so good. Got to sometimes feel like, oh my God, life's so good. Got to sometimes feel like, oh my God, life's so good. I'm on the cover of a lot, a lot of magazines. No, I don't say all, but I've been practicing my big TV grin and charming banter. Interviewers always follow upping on the answers. Prancers such as I lift heels up. Get your people here, we'll set some deals up. But don't fuss my pretty little with the chores. I'm critically acclaimed and I've never ignored now. Notice that none of that's true. Front a lot got inauthentic at you. What else is new? What else to do but keep on seeming like a celebration lyric could be anything redeeming. Got the sometimes feel like. So Jonathan has decided he's going to tell Clark the secret. And so we get a flashback story. It's 18 years earlier. Jonathan and Martha are preparing for a snowstorm. There's apparently supposed to be, there's a there's a big blizzard coming in, the likes of which hasn't been seen in Kansas in, in long, long ago. Um, or a long, long time, whatever long, long, I don't know what that meant. Um, and so they're outside and they're, they're, they're nailing up wood over the windows or something. And in the distance, they see the streak of light in the sky, something that falls from the sky and they decide they're gonna go and check it out. And when they do, they go out to this field and they find the rocket with the birthing matrix. And the, you know, as I said, the birthing matrix was this big black ball and the ball has opened up. Um, I think, I think uh, Jonathan actually walks down there at one and, and puts his hand on it and it opens up. There's a baby inside and Martha freaks out. She thinks that's, you know, she thinks that this is some sort of experiment that, you know, they sent, they've sent a dog into space. They've sent a chimpanzee into space. Now she thinks that some group, the government or whoever, has sent a baby into space and something happened and it landed here in their field. 
And so she, she vows, I'm going to take this baby and we're going to protect it from whoever has done this to the child. And Jonathan, Jonathan, you know, he's a little more, well, you know, we, we don't know that that's what happened, Martha. It could be, could be one of them Martians, could be an alien. And Martha, you know, Martha thinks that's ridiculous. So they take the baby home. The blizzard hits and the storm is so bad that they can't get back into town, which as we've said is Smallville. They're in Kansas. I don't know if I mentioned that, but they are in Kansas. Um, they can't get back to Smallville for five months. They're trapped on, out on their farm for five months. But when they do finally get back into town, it's with their new baby boy, Clark. And the the story that they tell, everybody in town knows that uh, Jonathan and Martha have tried to have kids um, for a number of years and that she actually had two miscarriages. Uh, so the story they told was that Martha was pregnant, but they didn't want to tell anybody until they were sure everything was going to be okay. And during the blizzard, she had the child. This is their new child, Clark Kent. And everything seems pretty, pretty close to perfect uh, until Clark is eight years old and he's trampled by a bull in the field, but he survives with an area scratch. Nothing happens to him. And, you know, of course, they find that a little odd. Then they show a couple of, they show a panel of young Clark. He's about the same age. He's lifting the back of the truck off the ground to get a ball that rolled uh, underneath. This is followed by a panel of Clark in his early teens, and he's using his x-ray vision to see through a wall to find Martha's purse for her. She's looking for a purse, and he sees it in the next room. Uh, and then the last thing they show is just that previous summer, as Clark was out playing with the dog next to a deep ditch, the dog knocks him in, but instead of falling into the ditch, Clark floats, and then he's like, I can fly, and he flies away. And uh, and that's that's where the, the that's where the backstory, the 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 flashback ends. And so Clark approaches the rocket, he gets close, but then something comes over him and he almost he 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 grows kind of weak and he almost faints. Um, and we see in this panel where he's like, oh, oh no, and he's about to faint, we see this little green thing stuck to the back of the rocket. We know what it is. Anyone who knows anything about Superman knows what it is. But we're going to pretend that we're a reader that has never read Superman before. So we don't know what this green thing is. And we're just going to ignore it because they don't really make a big deal out of it. You can just kind of see it there. But uh, Jonathan comes to his rescue and they get into, the, get into the car and they drive away. But as they drive away, you see a mysterious stranger cloaked in shadow watching them drive off. And... Honestly, I have read Man, the Man of Steel series twice now. I don't remember who this is. Well, this is my third time through it, and they don't mention who this is in issue one at all. So I'm, I'm hooked now. Even as someone who's read it twice, I don't remember who this person is. So we're going to find out who it is, I'm assuming, in a later issue. So we cut to the Kent farm. Martha is waiting for them with the door open, and she, the, she just says, You told him? Jonathan says, I told him. And Clark says, he told me. But Clark seems to be okay with it. And he comes to a decision right then and there. He's going to leave home the very next day and head out into the world to use his powers to help people. I did find this a bit confusing considering they were coming home from a football game. Typically, football games are in the winter, uh, in the middle of the school year. So... I don't know what was going on there. Um, this is around the time that they'd be playing football. 
and uh, there's still a whole half a year to go. And yet he's going to leave. He's going to leave off on an adventure the next day and go help people. So I don't, I don't know what that's about. I don't know if they just didn't give that any thought. They didn't think anybody would be paying attention. But I feel like there's still he's still got a senior year of school to finish. But whatever. Unless they had started doing summer a summer football league uh, that he was in after he graduated. I don't know. They don't really talk about it again. But this ends chapter one. We're still in issue one. We go to chapter two, which is called Exposure. And we open with Martha. She's sitting at a kitchen table. She's cutting out newspaper articles and adding them to a scrapbook. Jonathan enters and he jokes that if anyone were to break in and discover her book, because these are all articles about Clark uh, helping people. If anybody were to break in and discover this book, then Clark's secret would be out. Martha, of course, chides him for reading too much from the big city newspapers because burglaries just that, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen in Smallville. But it's here that we learn through their their uh, playful, loving jibes to each other that it's been seven years since Clark left Smallville. Jonathan picks up the scrapbook and he's looking through it and he muses at that he, he's like, well, actually, if anyone were to break in, uh, he says, quote, they just find, quote, the scrapbook of a strange old lady who likes to collect stories of disasters that didn't quite happen. And we see a few of the articles, a few of the headlines uh, of the articles on the scrapbook. And like one says, bridge holds till last minute. And another one says, floodwaters diverted. So none of these articles mention anything about a particular person stopping these or a superhero. So we're led to believe that Clark's out there uh, doing what he's doing and he's doing it without anybody knowing that he's doing it, which is kind of what he wanted to do. Uh, but then Jonathan starts reading the newspaper and he comes across a new story for the scrapbook. And he's like, oh no, Martha. And the, he shows her the headline and it says, Mysterious Superman Saves Space Plane. And it's a huge freaking headline. It takes up practically 50% of the front page of the paper, uh, which is the Smallville Post that he's reading. Uh, and under the headline, we see two images, um, one of which is of the space plane, but the second image is of a blurry figure flying away from the crowd. We, we just a figure we see flying away. And suddenly there's a creaking from above from Clark's room. And uh, Jonathan takes up what I believe is an axe handle. I'm not quite sure what it's supposed to be, but it looks like it might be an axe handle. He goes upstairs to investigate. And he opens up the door to Clark's room, and there's Clark, and he's just looking all kinds of creepy. He's sitting in a chair in brown pants and a black shirt. And I I found the panel a little off-putting because, to me, it looked like uh, like if Clark had gone bad and that he looked evil. <laughs> he, he didn't look brooding or upset. He just, he looked like an evil dictator sitting on a throne. His face and his eyes were all shadowed and it just, it didn't look right to me. I'm not sure what Byrne was trying to, what, what his intention was with that panel, but it didn't look right. And Clark says, they wanted a piece of me, Pa. They wanted to, they all wanted a piece of me. And so now Clark tells his story. So we're two chapters into the issue. And so far each chapter has had a flashback story. I don't, not that there's anything wrong with that. I just, I thought I would point it out. Uh, so according to Clark, he's been, he had, he had been using Metropolis for his home base for the last three years. He really likes it there. Uh, Metropolis has been celebrating their 150th anniversary and they decided to cap it off 
by landing an experimental space plane called the Constitution at Metropolis International. Yeah, that's the sound of my notes. That's right. I took, you think I can think of this all off the top of my head? Yeah, whatever. Uh, so, of course, something goes wrong. They're, they're landing the plane. A small civilian airplane somehow manages to, to fly through the security cordon that they, that they had around the, the flight path. And it crashes into the Constitution's wing and fuses to the wing. So now the, 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 the small aircraft is stuck to the Constitution and they both go down. Clark's out in the crowd with everybody else and he sees this happen and he realizes he has to do something. And there's no way he's going to be able to do something without anybody noticing, which is how he's taken care of every other disaster up until this point without anybody noticing that a single individual person had intervened. But he doesn't have any choice here. And he thinks if he, if he moves fast enough, all anybody's going to see is a blur. They'll know it's someone, but they won't know who it is. And so he flies up and he, he uh, flies under the, the belly of the, the space plane and he guides it down. Uh, and helps it to land safely. Now, on board the plane is Lois Lane from the Daily Bugle. And once they're down, she rushes out of the plane and sees Clark walking away. And she says, hold it right there, buster. And <laughs> this is where it gets a little hokey. So uh, as Clark's telling his story to mom, pa, this is, this is what he says. It was Lois Lane. I'd seen her on talk shows, been reading her columns in the Daily Planet. Now she was right in front of me, and I know I knew I couldn't escape her questions. And somehow, actually, and dot, 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 somehow I didn't want to. She's dot, 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 I don't know, not as beautiful as a movie star, but she has dot, 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 a quality, something I've never seen in any other woman, almost a fire in those big, dark eyes. And for just a moment, it seemed as if something passed between us. A spark, dot, dot, dot. But that's the moment that the crowd, you know, as we're being force-fed this love at first side moment, you know, if we, you know, in case they, they want every, John Byrne wants everyone to know that this is a love at first sight moment. Clark falls in love. He, he hasn't quite understood it yet. But these two are connected forever. And he wants to make, John Byrne wants to make sure we don't miss that. And as this is happening, the uh, Clark's mobbed by the crowd. They are all over me like wild animals, Clark said, like maggots clawing, pulling, screaming at me. In other words, he didn't like it very much. And uh, he doesn't know at this point, he's, he's kind of at this point like, I, I don't know if I can go back out there and help people anymore because I can't do that if something like this is going to happen. But then Jonathan has himself an idea. So that ends chapter two. Again, we're still in the first issue. We're going to move on to chapter three, but let's play a little bit more music, and then we'll come back. We'll wrap it up with chapter three and my thoughts on the issue. Wish I were a little bit better at rapping. I'd put the feather to cap in the manner of mapping what happened. Now front a lot achieved something. That's what they'd say. He went from terrible to mediocre. Maybe okay. Could be in the cards later as of yet. Not quite. Of the hand, the mic, then of the tongue, the slides. How to pull tricks on the ear. You rap well. Thanks for your sincerity, but prepare to see dispelled. Any notion of my aptitude that you once held could fit what's felt. Through the button hole in my lapel, slim as proud of 
give a mic technique clipped and cut try to recede after i get dug out my rut which could occur in my fantasies improve each night real life flags afterwards perhaps out of spite for it's after hours cousin so far favored by me in the trajectory dream eventually reigns supreme power better better rapping you wouldn't need a napkin wadded up in your ear to keep out the If I were better at rapping, I wonder what would happen. Would everybody holler and cheer when I finish the verse? But they decide to disperse. Wish I'd started earlier. I'd be Chapter three of Man of Steel issue number one is titled The Superhero. And we open with Martha. She's at a sewing machine. She's sewing. Jonathan and Clark enter. Clark asks her how's it, how it's coming, and she says she's nearly done. And she asks them if the two of them have settled on a design. And that's when Clark holds up the famous S shield that is on his chest. They have designed this shield. Um, he says, this is, this is what we got for the front, and we have one for the back as well. And so she's like, okay, well, I'll just stitch that thing on. And... Uh, for future, st- okay, so for stories that come later, like uh, an example, like Smallville, the TV show, and um, I think some of the future, maybe how uh, uh, the origin is told for Clark now in the comics, I'm not sure about that, but I know in Smallville, and I think even the uh, the Man of Steel movie, the F, the S on the shield has always stood for something Kryptonian. I think in the in Smallville, it was their family sigil. In the Man of Steel movie, he said it stood for hope. Um, so as if, you know, I'm using this because it's part of my Kryptonian uh, heritage. Um, but in John Byrne's version, he's using it because he's going to go by the name that Lois gave him in the article, Superman. And we saw when we saw the huge headline, Mysterious Superman. And so he designed, he and, he and his dad designed the big S, S for Superman. And I've always liked that better than the S mean is, ties more into his Kryptonian heritage. I never, I never liked that too much. Um, Martha then asks about the other matter, which uh, means how are they going to keep Clark's identity secret while he's out flying around in, in this little outfit that they're putting together. So Jonathan had an idea about that and he... Clark slicks his hair back and he puts on an old pair of glasses that his dad had given him. And voila, there he is, the new Clark Kent. Jonathan suggests that with these two items, with the glasses and his hair slicked back, and if he just walks around uh, with a slump, you know, if he slumps a bit when he walks around, no one should mistake him for his superhero identity. And so in the end, all that means is that Clark is actually wearing two costumes, his Superman costume and his Clark Kent costume because neither one are truly who he is. The only time for a long time in this book, uh, the only time I always felt that we really ever saw Clark being Clark was when he was with, at home with, uh, with his mom and dad. And I've always liked that as well. So Clark's pulling on the new, the new costume and Martha remarks that it's snug, which is good. She says that she'd always noticed growing up that any of Clark's clothes that were close to his skin never got dirty or torn. So she thinks that if the costume is snug, it should, um, it should stay intact as well. And she also says it'll show off all of Clark's muscles, to which Clark, recalls, he, Clark goes, Ma! 
And then he, then they show him pulling on his boots, and Jonathan says that they add a nice swash, swashbuckler look. And then uh, he's putting on his cape, which Martha says is her favorite. That's her favorite part. The cape is her favorite part, though she feels it might tear since it's not close to Clark's skin, and starts begins to suggest that maybe they should get rid of it. Get rid of it, but Clark just leans down and kisses her on the forehead. And we get this last bit of dialogue that closes out the book. Not to worry, Ma. The whole thing works just fine. It's got exactly the symbolic look I wanted. So from now on, whenever there are people who need my very special kind of help, it won't be a job for plain, ordinary Clark Kent. And we go to the last panel, and it's a full shot of Superman flying out of the house. And he's saying it'll be a job for Superman. So that was issue number one. Um, I really enjoyed it. I like Clark's relationship with his parents. I've always liked the fact that um, Clark is Superman is who he is because of the way his raised because of the way he was raised because of Jonathan and Martha, and so he comes from a he comes originally his birth parents were cold and sterile, and his his birth mom uh, had hopes that he would come to Earth and rule over the people of Earth and force them into the ways of the Kryptonian. And that doesn't happen because he was raised by good people who raised him to be a good person who knew right from wrong and wanted to help people. You know, Clark, the way he was raised, the kind of person he is, regardless of the fact that he has superpowers, he would still be out there helping people any way he can because that's just who Clark Kent is. And that's all because of Jonathan and Martha. Um... I thought that last chapter of the three of them working together to make his costume might come off as a bit hokey, but I, I really actually liked it because it kind of shows you how close he is to his parents. I mean, these are the only people in the world who know who he truly is. They're the only, they're the only people that know his secret. You know, he's there. They are the people that, that help keep him grounded. And that's, that's another one of my favorite parts about uh, the Superman uh, mythos in story. They stray away from that every once in a while. Um, but in the end, you know, I think a lot of times some, some writers try to try to do this whole, he's, he's an alien, you know, he's, he, but he's not an alien. He's, he was born, he was raised on earth in America. He may have alien DNA, but he as a person is not at all alien. And he should never be written that way unless it's some kind of Elseworlds story. The art, of course, was awesome. I mean, John Byrne is the man. He is, uh, he is my artist. Um, he's probably one of my top five when it comes to art. He's got a classic style that I love. And I've always heard stories. You, you go online and you're going to hear stories about him being a jerk to fans and whatnot at, at conventions. I met him once. Uh, in the 90s, it was around the time, I think it was when he was doing Namor. And I was working at a comic book store and uh, we were going to, we had a, the, the store had a table at a convention in Kansas City. And knowing that John Byrne was going to be there, I, I packed away, I put a small box together of all my John Byrne comics. And because I wanted him to sign some. And uh, I didn't know which ones I wanted him to sign. So I got there and I went through and pulled out key issues like Man of Steel number one and Namor number one and Wonder Woman number one, stuff like that. And 
And then uh, when I got a break and I go and I get in his line and um, <clears throat> I get up to meet him and I put the comic books down and I tell him how I'm a huge fan and I ask him if he could make the books out to me, to personalize them to me. And I think a lot of, I, it's just me talking, but I think a lot of creators appreciate that because nine times out of 10, if they're personalizing the book to you, you're not getting them to sign it because you're going to turn around and sell it. You may sell it eventually, but that's not the purpose for your visit. That's not the purpose for you coming up to their to their table. And so I do feel that he he appreciated that to a certain extent. And then I asked him if there was a if there was a minimum of books that he would sign. He's like, "Uh, oh, you know, I you know, it's the the line isn't isn't too awful long. I don't want to make people wait too long, but you know, if you had 10 books or so, I'd probably sign them and I told him that I was I was here with a store and I was working and that and I might bring him some more books later and he he was he was totally fine with that. I think I got in line three more times. I probably got a total of twenty or thirty books signed from him, which I'm not sure where they're at. Uh, they're up in the attic somewhere uh, with the big mess of comics that I have up there. But he was a super nice guy. He was really nice. So what that tells me is that John Byrne is a human being. And anyone who has a story about him being rude caught him on a day that he was not, it was, was not one of his best days. And I know that if you're going to be in the public eye to a certain extent that you should, you should not let yourself have a bad day when you're dealing with the public. But you know what? Humans are humans. That's just the way it's going to be. Uh, the story in general, uh, I enjoyed. Uh, nice. It, it was a good issue. It was a good told the first part of Superman's origin and it wrapped it up pretty well. You know, here, here's how he came to earth. He was raised on in Kansas. He has superpowers. The whole reason he decided to uh, help people is because he's just a good person. But the whole reason he decided to wear a costume and hide his identity is because of how he was treated the first time he publicly um, exposed himself to the people out there. And so it, it, it all makes sense to me. It all makes a lot of sense. And, uh, I haven't, I started in on issue two, but I haven't read that far into it yet. Um, but I'm looking forward to, to getting into more of issue two and, uh, then talking about those reliving my childhood as it were. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was Man of Steel issue number one. Let's take another break and then we'll come back. Uh, I have an Iron Man story that I want to talk about. I, it'll just be one issue just like this one. I don't know that I'll spend as much time on that issue because we're about 40 some odd, 45 minutes into just this one book. And, uh, there are other things in the, uh, in the episode that we're going to do. Um, so actually let's play a song. Uh, and then we're, we'll, we're going to do, uh, I got, I put together a little thing, uh, that I talked about in the opening, the, the nerd quest. We'll do the nerd quest and then we'll talk about the Iron Man book and then we'll wrap it up and we'll go home. Sound good? I don't know why I ask that every time. Does that sound good? I don't know if I'm waiting for a response because I'm not going to get one because that's what we're going to do. Ready? Here we go. Yo, I cracked the whip. 
play the game. Every encounter that's a fraction never comes in my name. So that you came to become obsessed with my location. Clues to my identity, denied to the impatient. Step up, I sense you're on the precipice of something. Me, I'm on the brink of delivering your lumpings. Make your load, your save up for the 55th time. Make you scroll through unskippable dialogue lines. And you still ain't any closer to discovering why. Got technology for lackeys that can hover and fly. Got them other two guys in their sights and apt to wreck them. Get the beat down to you quicker than your finger in teching. I cracked my whip. Hey everybody, this is Steven. I got my daughters with me, and that means we're going on a nerd quest. Let's go. Okay, welcome to another edition of the Nerd Quest. Yeah. Leg one of the Nerd Quest is over. Uh, I am, of course, joined, as always, on the Nerd Quest with Palin and Rana, and we just left How the... How did you know our names? Uh, I made you. Whoa! That's, that's a first. So, we just left the Lawrence Public Library, and uh, kind of funny, because we went in and Palin said, I'm not checking anything out, because I still have books from last time I haven't read. <laughs> and she got a stack of books. Among the three of us, we got 20 three books so let's talk about what we got ronna what'd you get okay so last time i got the first two volumes of anonymous noise and now i have three four and five is that the one with the edgy dude on the cover yeah, yeah. is is he as dreamy on the inside as he is on the outside i mean he likes to drink a lot of milk Really? Yeah, he's always drinking milk. And okay. so there's this one manga called So Cute It Hurts. I mean, it kind of sounds weird. Relatable. It sounds weird, so I checked it out. Then there's this one thing called Honey So Sweet, and I thought it looked cute, so I checked that out too. And then there's this normal comment called Anaya's Ghost. Which I have and read. And the girl looks emo, so I... Oh, totally emo. Yeah, I'm so I I'm pretty I sure I read that. Oh, yeah, I remember that book. Okay, Palin, what'd you get? Um... Well, I like hanging out with Rana in the manga section to make fun of all the books, but what I got, Scott Pilgrim 2 for 6, because I have the first one at home, and Scott Pilgrim is amazing, and if you haven't read it, you're a pleb. And then I got, where'd it go? Oh no! I hope you're in. I got um, Tom Sawyer in manga form, just because I, um, I felt like it. And that, I mean, that's like a true manga. I mean, that's yeah. not like an Americanized trying to look like a manga. I mean, it's a you, it's a, it's an actual manga. It's weird. I wonder if you read the page and read the words. I mean, you start at the back or something, or you you read it right to left or something. How do you? Yeah, you, you read, read it, it the opposite. So think of the way you would read an actual book and just do the opposite. On the of back that. of mangas, it even tells yeah. you. It's like surprise, you may be reading this the wrong way. Oh no. That's weird. Well, I got a big stack of books that I'm probably not going to read, but I got The Punisher. Welcome back, Frank Garth Ennis. I got The Immortal Iron Fist, Volume 1. This is the uh, Matt Fraction. Oh, this is the complete collection. Dad. Matt Fraction, Brubaker. They also make what? a Huckleberry Finn manga. Oh, a Huckleberry Finn manga. <laughs> 
so great. I got Ultimate Spider-Man number one, Bendis and Bagley, because uh, Palin has been one to read some Spider-Man comics, and I thought Ultimate Spider-Man would be a good place for, because it tells, while it's not the true origin of Spider-Man, it's close enough. Uh, Irredeemable Volume 2. I got Hellboy and the BPRD 1955. X-Men, the Dark Phoenix Saga, Claremont and Byrne. Rumble Volume 2. I think I had tried that, tried to read that once before. Uh, I'm going to try it again. And then I got Volume 1 of The Sixth Gun by Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt, which I have read before, but I want to read the whole series, and so i got to start from the beginning. Okay, so are we all satisfied with what we got? Yes. Okay. Um, I don't know. You tell me. I think we are because Palin just cannot stop with her manga, Tom Sawyer. Well, I read the first one, and if it isn't exactly the same, I'm going to hurt someone. She read the oh. original. She's going to hurt somebody. I read it in one day. It was kind of boring. The original Tom Sawyer book? Yeah. yeah. Was it the original or like a rewrite? Well, I think it was the original. Was it Mark Twain? How Is am I the poster? Was it Mark Twain who wrote it? I don't know. Oh, that's pretty sad. I think it was. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. And All right, I so. I'm your daughter. I'm getting out of this car. No, I, I care that you read it. I don't care who wrote it at this point. But yeah, I think it was Mark Twain. All that matters is that they make a manga book, and we're getting the Huckleberry Finn one after the if month. It's at the library. Yeah. Very nice. Okay, so we have two more stops to make. Last month, if you remember, we went to two different comic book stores and Rana bought something at the very first comic book store. And then when we went to the second one, saw a bunch of Steven Universe books that she couldn't buy because she spent her money at the first one. So today we're hoping that those Steven Universe books will still be there so she can pick them up today. If not those, if they're not there, maybe that uh, B-movie video game. Yes. I can't get anything because I'm saving up for a giant unicorn. She's saving up for a giant stuffed unicorn. And then our next stop will be a new comic book store. I don't know how new it is to the Lawrence, Kansas area, but Arthur was telling me about it. He's one of the listeners. Say hi to Arthur. Hi, Arthur. Is that, the same? Arthur? is that the same Arthur in the TV show and kids book? No. Yeah. <laughs> Who's Arthur? No. So anyway, Sorry. we're going to... We're just going to stop at that store and kind of look around. We Who's probably Arthur? We probably won't. Arthur is who I work with at the night job. You've met Arthur? The one with like the glasses or the like no. the other one? He's the one that doesn't wear the glasses. Okay. Okay, all right. Well, uh let's uh wrap this up and we'll get moving on the uh the second leg of the journey. Woo! The Steven Universe books are here. Palin, look. But they only have the third Color edition. Oh, this is killing me. We just found a Scott Pilgrim Volume 1 hardback color edition. Oh, I guess we I guess Wallace, you guessed right. That just gonna be here next time. There's just so much stuff here that I want to buy, but I can't because I don't have any money. I want to buy the Harmony Comics and orders. Oh, wait, no, they have no Harmony Comics over here. Okay. I'm not sure of the Harmony Comics. No, you know. Goodbye. It's fine. Ooh. 
Okay, I'm probably gonna go ahead and just stop recording now because we're not being very fun. I, I'll be, I'll be fun. Be fun. Hey, hey, what's that? Wow, that's amazing. Is that some up dog over there? Oh my what's gosh. up dog? <laughs> well, nothing. What's up with you? Oh, uh, you got me. Okay, we are now at our final destination, Chops Comics. I don't know why they're called chops. Oh, because the, the the mutton chops, oh, yeah. facial Mama hair. I think. Uh, chops on it. Yeah, what? I remember Arthur saying something about facial hair. I don't think. So uh, we're gonna we're just gonna go inside this place and look around and see what we see. I might record a little. You guys ready? Yeah. Oh. Hold on. Car almost. I almost opened up a door while a car was pulling in. Could have taken my door off. We all could have died. Yeah. There was oh, let's go do that instead. Yeah. Girl, let's go size instead. Lock up the old door here. No, we just uh, we just want to come in and look around. No, sir. Oh, well, welcome. To We're the not a. I'm an ex comic book buyer, so sure. Um, I'm recording my podcast. Oh, absolutely. Um, but the but you know my girls want to look around and see if there might be anything they might like. Sure uh, thing. Yeah. Um, the uh, new books are really here on the table. I'm just putting them out since we're closed on Monday. I am. Uh, so else what's Monday? Do? What's going on on Monday? We're closed. Oh, you just uh, you just closed on Monday? Yeah, we're closed on Monday. Okay. So then, uh, and then Tuesdays we get in you know new books and they put them out for Wednesday. Okay. So I'm just kind of prepping for that. Cool. But uh, all the new ones are only there. Anything you don't see there, I've already got put out on the shelves. We, you have a nice, clean store. I like it. Uh, thank you. It's uh, not my store. It's actually Jason's. I'm just uh, handsome. Does, does he have the chops? Yes. Okay. He, uh, he just shaved them off oh. recently, but yes. Well, we need to go scrape them off the logo then. <laughs> uh, and then uh, any back issues are going to be alphabetical in the boxes. Oh, you got drawer boxes. Cool. Yes. And then these, I believe this was a large collection that was purchased. So it's just kind of what's in here. Okay. Drawer box right there for you. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah, if you have any questions at all, just let me know. Okay, thanks. Great. You're welcome. Yeah. Oh, he found some more Steven Universe, did you? Yeah, of course I did. Oh, well, how I much are those? I think they're probably the same price. That's yeah. cute. I like that one. I like here's, a, here's a $15. <gasps> you wish. That is so cool. Now I need $15 like next the, time. That's the whole mini, yeah. All four issues there. Okay, so our nerd quest comes to an end. Uh, we ended by going into this comic book store in Lawrence, Kansas called Chops Comics. Right next to the Jazzercise. It's over here on... Uh, 15th and Castled in the, the Orchard Corners shopping mall. And it's a very nice comic book store. I was telling the girls as we were walking out that if I was still a comic book collector, this would end up, this would be my store. Um, it's, a, it's a small store. Very clean. Uh, the guy who was in there was very friendly. Very inviting place. So... What do you guys think? Did you like the store? Yes, we should go there next time. My hair looks so, like it's balding. 
Rana, oh no, it's not. <laughs> so Rana found a. Uh, look where their hair when they're balding. It's like long right here and it's like mm, right here. Yeah. Oh my. Okay, but they can't really see that on the podcast. There so you go. It's better now. Okay. So Rana found a uh, the fir- the four issues of Steven Universe and the Crystal Gems, and they were bound together. Not bound together, but they were in a bag together for fifteen bucks. So I'm gonna. So that's the, the next goal for next month. So this is like a to be continued as episode. So this this edition when we when next when next we do Nerd Quest, will the Steven Universe four issue set still be at Chops Comics? Find out next time on Nerd Quest. So yeah, that was Nerd Quest, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. Because uh, I'm going to keep doing those each and every month. That's me and my two daughters. We go out once a month. We hit the library and hit a comic book store if we can. And I want to want to say real quick, I know I mentioned it a little, uh, but Chops Comics uh, was just a great place. It's it's nice. It's clean. It's well organized. The, the guy that was working uh, that day that we went in there was super nice. Um, yeah, they're in Lawrence, Kansas, 15th and Castled in the Orchard Corners, uh, little strip mall area. And, you know, I said at the beginning of the episode that I don't collect anymore because I can't afford it and I don't have any place to put comics. But if I was collecting again, if I was to start back up with buying monthly books, uh, going into a comic book store weekly and picking up books, I'd go to Chops Comics because it's a, it's a real nice uh, real nice looking place. It's a nice, nice environment. Very friendly, very welcoming. Um, and like I said, very well organized. It wasn't fill. It wasn't full of a lot of, uh, crap that, uh, no one's ever going to buy in a comic book store. It had, it had what you needed. So if you're, if you're in the Lawrence, Kansas area, I do suggest checking them out. Uh, one of the listeners, Arthur, he's uh, not just a listener. He's a buddy of mine. We work together at the second job, the job I cheat on my first job with. He actually recommended Chops Comics to me. So, uh, so yeah, you can thank Arthur uh, for me including them on the show. Thanks, Arthur. So uh, let's, let's play another song, and uh, then we'll talk about another comic book. How about that? What? Oh, right. Time for a crime spree. MC front a lot, the arch criminal for some reason not sought by authorities. The bomb been burning wild for days. They is surely gonna track me down. I'm the number one menace for miles around. With the littering, the loitering, the mattress tags, all the pirated MP3s, I grabs all the cable I stole. Certain bathroom all I broke down. I'm so cruel and cold to put the code on. Even cheat on my tax. On this line of crime, never be no turning back. Riding all around on my bike with no helmet, commit mail fraud whenever I see a mailman. Got a jaywalking ticket, I cry. Boogie up, still bump the bootleg, cause I'm hanging time free that I'm on. Breaking the law until the break of the dawn, then I'll break it again, then I'll break it some more. MC for a lot, you're so hard. free that I'm on. Breaking the law until the break of the dawn, now it seems like I break it all the time. This MC let a life of than the criminal supposed to be most of the okay so the last thing I've got for you is uh, a, a talk about issue an issue of Iron Man this is issue number 225 from Marvel Comics it's got a cover date of December 1987 it's written by Dave 
You know what? I always get this guy's last name wrong. So I'm going to give you my two, the two ways I say it. And uh, maybe someday somebody will tell me the proper way. But it's written by David Michelini or David Michelini, uh, as well as Bob Layton. The pencils are by Mark Bright. The inks are by Bob Layton. Colors are by Bob Sharon. Letters by Janice Chang. And the editor is Mark Grunwald. So the issue itself, we open up uh, with Iron Man. He's in the sky and there's missiles coming at him. Now, this is the Iron Man in his his red and silver armor. Uh, I'm a big fan of his red and silver armor. I prefer the red and gold, um, which would be the armor he had just prior to the red and silver. But I do like the red and silver. I love it. I like it more than what he's got on now. I'll tell you that. I don't care how much more technologically advanced his armor might be these days. I like the old style better. So we got Iron Man. He's up in the sky and there's missiles coming at him. He ducks and he dodges and he jukes and he jives. And the missiles collide with each other and explodes. It all seems pretty intense. But then we learn that we, the reader, are just being duped. We're being tricked. We're being played by fools. Played by fools? No, played like fools. That's how we're being played, like fools, people. Fools! Because he's not actually being attacked. This is He's participating in a joint training session with the U.S. military. Uh, after that little fun bit of excitement, uh, Tony is back at Stark Enterprises, and he's inspecting armor that belonged to a character by the name of Force. I should say at this point that I do remember reading this issue back in the day when it came out. This is, I should have mentioned at the beginning, this is the first issue of a run that's known as the Armor Wars, even though I think the uh, the title to the to the uh, issue maybe is the Stark Wars, uh, but I don't remember who Force is, and frankly, I didn't do a lot of research to find out who Force is. But apparently, based on the issue, Force was a bad guy who wore armor. Tony defeated him, uh, but now the guy is trying to be a good guy, and he and Tony are friends. Uh, but as Tony's inspecting his armor, he finds that the armor is based in part on his own technology and he kind of deduces based on, it's not the technology he's currently using in his current armor, but it's older technology. So it's it's something that he, he deduces must have been stolen from him before he upgraded to his current armor. And he finds this a bit alarming because he, uh, ultimately what that means is that this this technology that he has designed that he uses for Iron Man has been used by this this guy force to uh to kill because as a bad guy he has killed and tony feels responsible for that and at one point uh he he asks uh the guy where he got the armor i believe and and i think that i think the guy said he got it from um justin hammer who's a rival of tony's and so tony is now under the belief that justin hammer stole his technology and is selling it to criminals to uh to hurt people so his his technology is being used to hurt people and he's not that happy about it so he enlists the help of uh, a guy that works for him that's good with computers and to uh to basically break in uh to justin hammer's computers and steal this information he needs to find out when justin hammer stole this technology uh and if hammer knows that Tony is Iron Man. That's that's also part of what he's looking for. 
So the guy that he that he that works for him, he says, you know, I'm gonna need an, another guy, and he's gonna have to be really good at computers. He's gonna have to be a computer dude. And so um, Tony enlists the help of Scott Lang. Scott Lang is Ant Man, and uh, as Ant Man, he breaks into Justin Hammer's headquarters and actually goes into the computer as Ant-Man. They don't make it clear if Tony knows that Scott Lang is Ant-Man. Uh, so I don't know that that Tony knows that at this point. All he knows is that Scott Lang and the dude that he has working for him is helping him get this information. And so they get these files stolen and it, it reveals that the tech was actually stolen by Spymaster for Justin Hammer. And then he uh, sold this tech to various criminals and he compiles a list of who has his his tech and it's got folks on it like the beetle stilt man the mauler and crimson dynamo so of course he's not he again he's not happy about this he feels it's it's troubling him he loses sleep over it and uh he enlists his lawyers to try to handle this uh legally he 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 doesn't get a lot of reception from that. They they make their first pass uh, in the legal department to see what they can do, and it doesn't look promising. So Tony goes out, and he, he's going to try to put a stop to this. Uh, he, he's going to see what he can do as Iron Man. And the first person he goes after is Stiltman. And, of course, he defeats him easily. Stiltman is, is doing what Stiltman does, which is uh, breaking into... A, an, an apartment or an office or something that's like 20 stories up and he's doing it with his big mighty stilts and Iron Man does what anybody any smart person going up against stilt man would do and that's knock his stilts out from under him and he actually rips one of the stilts off but stilt man is able to eject his stilts and fly away but of course he's no match for Iron Man Tony catches him and he slaps this thing on him called a negator pack which uh, negates, it goes in, seeks out Tony's tech, and destroys it. Um, next up, he goes after the controller. The controller, I don't know a lot about him, but apparently he uses technology to uh, control people. He takes them over, he enslaves their mind, and makes them his, his, his zombie army. And uh, the controller is actually using, he set up shop in a tanning salon, and he's using the tanning beds to take control of these people. So they are in California. Tony's, uh, his uh, Stark Enterprises at this point, his headquarters is located in California. And uh, apparently a lot of people in California uh, like to use tanning beds rather than the sun, I guess. I don't know. But he's got a lot of people now under his control. And Tony has to uh, go through them to get to the controller. And at this point, Tony's pretty angry. He finally gets a hold of the controller and he beats him into unconsciousness. He beats him to the point that he actually, uh, at one point, he's like, he, he's not sure if the if the uh, the controller actually survived. See, he beats him into unconsciousness, slaps this negator pack onto him. He doesn't know what it's going to do because the controller doesn't wear a suit of armor like like the stilt man does um, or others like Crimson Dynamo or the Beetle. It's it's just part of his suit. The, 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 the tech is part of his suit. So he doesn't know if, if A, if the negator pack will work, if B, if it does work, if all these people that are under his control will snap out of it, if C, if they do, if they survive, and, and D, 
if the controller himself will survive. Of course, it all works out. He slaps it on. The it it destroys the tech. The uh, people snap out of their 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 hypnosis-like state, and uh, the controller lives, which Stark doesn't seem all that happy about. Um, and then at the end, he finds out that there's nothing near the end of the issue. He goes back to his team of lawyers only to find out that there's nothing that the law or the government can do for him. So the final panel is Tony sitting at his desk and he's thinking to himself, it's a tough decision, perhaps the toughest in my life, but with the government support or its hindrance by the law or against it, I'm going to get back what's mine and heaven help anyone who gets in my way. And the next issue is the quest begins. So I'm going to be revisiting this uh, like like with the Man of Steel. I'm going to be talking about future, epi- future issues on future episodes. Uh, I don't know quite sure how I'm going to do that yet because I don't want each episode to be about the same two comics. I know that Man of Steel, I'm not going to, I'm going to do every two weeks. And Iron Man, I'm just going to, because here, here's, here's what I'm doing, folks. As you know, or may not know, I record these episodes in my car, and I actually recorded the whole Man of Steel segment the day previous. And I only get these books for 21 days, so I'm going to read them up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out to my car every now and again and record these little segments talking about the issues, and then I'm going to put them in whatever episodes I want to put them in. Uh, but I've also got a big stack of trades at home that I want to read, and you heard about all those in the previous segment, the Nerd Quest segment. So yeah, you're not just going to get Man of Steel and Iron Man for the next, you know, six or seven weeks. Um, next episode, we'll probably not have Iron Man or Man of Steel in it. Maybe I'll talk about Sweet Tooth because I started that, started reading that just the other day. I've also got uh, the second volume of... Um, the Frank Miller Daredevil that I'm reading. I finished the first issue of that, which was which was pretty decent. Um, so don't worry. It's not all going to be Man of Steel and Iron Man every episode until I'm done with those runs. Uh, there are a lot of other stuff that I want to talk about. I still need to talk about Daredevil Season 3. Haven't talked about Daredevil Season 3 yet, and I want to do that because I have watched it, and it was awesome. But we're not going to do that now because, like I said, this is a... This is going to be a pretty long episode, so let's play one more song. I'll wrap up the episode, and then I'll send you on your way. I live in Baghdad. I had a million dollars. After that last bad investment, I live in squalor. Still got a grandiose house, but it's run down. Jackals take possession of it promptly at sundown. On account of the holes in the wall, so I sleep in the yard. Huddled by the fountain ground is keeping it hard. I'd be deeply alarmed if I weren't so depressed. Keep an eye on the stars, I guess. Get some rest as I drift off. Feel like I hear a voice whispering. Despair in due time. Take comfort in the inner realm. I'm listening. Step to the west in the early air. Your fortune is in Cairo. Regain it if you journey there. Oh no, I don't know if I could trust a dream. As one half of been what it seems. Oh no, I don't know if I could trust a dream. But it keeps on promising. Thank you for listening to the Stephen R. Else podcast. I would love to know what you think. You can email your questions or comments to stephenorelse at gmail.com. You can also leave a comment to the episode on the site that's over at stephenorelse.com. 
Or if you're feeling particularly generous, you can review the show wherever you get it, such as iTunes or Google Play. You know, if you want to throw an iTunes review my way, I'd really appreciate it because right now we're sitting at a big fat zero. Squat, nothing, no reviews. And the more reviews I can get, the more likely it is that new people will find the show. And uh, I love y'all, but we want to share this with more people, right? Now, if you do feel inclined to throw a little support my way, you can do that in two different ways. You can become my patron over at Patreon. And for as little as a dollar a month, not only are you going to get the warm and fuzzy feeling that you're helping out me and helping me provide for my family, you also get instant access to my other podcast, which is called My Other Podcast. And it releases twice a week and is exclusive to patrons only. And you can check that out over at patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. And again, that's for as little as a dollar a week. The most I ask for over there, or not a dollar a week, a dollar a month. What am I talking about? So a little, as little as a dollar a month. The most that I ask for over there is $2 a month. So that's a pretty good deal for two extra episodes each and every week. But if you aren't into the commitment of a monthly payment type thing, you can throw me a one-time payment for as little as $3 over at coffee.com and that's actually ko-fi.com slash Stephen R. Orr. The theme song for this episode is Expendable by Trinity X. You can find it and more songs from the band at atomiczombierecords.bandcamp.com The theme music for the NerdQuest segment is by George Harab. Look him up over at georgeharab.com The rest of the music in this episode comes from MC Frontalot. You can find him online at frontalot.com and frontalot.bandcamp.com. Check him out. He's got some good tunes, which, of course, you know, because I played them in the episode. And, of course, all those links that I just talked about, they will be in the show notes if you if if you didn't get a chance to, to get a pencil out and some paper and, and write it all down. Just go to the website, stephenorelse.com, and you'll, you'll, you'll have handy little links if you want to visit any of these places. So that's it. That's the show, folks. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for spending another uh, week with me here on uh, your podcast catcher. Um, yeah, that's it. I'll talk to you next week. See ya. Good job. <laughs>
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.